Father, we pray that you will give us a spirit to understand and a spirit that is always open to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Do you believe that you can make a difference in the world? Do you believe that as a Christian, God wants to use you to help people who are in need? Do you believe that God has transformed your life, not just for your own personal satisfaction, but so that you would be a catalyst for healing and for helping needy, hurting people? As we just saw a little bit ago, some of you are just uh, less than a week from uh, receiving your college diploma and going on to some other stage of life. And I would assume that whatever you end up doing, you want to do something that will make an impact on the struggles of this world. But most of us, when we look at the hurt and the pain and the And all of the problems of the world get overwhelmed by what we see. And and we want to make a difference. We're not sure if we can. And even if we can, we're not exactly sure how to make a difference. And it seems to me that there is something of that, that wandering. Something of those questions that that we find in this story that Mark records for us in the ninth chapter of his gospel. Jesus has just come down from the mountain with Peter, James, and John after he was transfigured before them. and They saw Moses and Elijah, and it was one of those amazing moments, so amazing, in fact, that Peter says, let's just build three places to worship and stay right here and never go back. And, of course, Jesus says, no, we have to go back. There are things yet we, we need to do. We need to go back with the people. But it's that kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And they come down from the mountain, and, and they're still sensing the, the, the aura of that moment. And, and what do they find? They find a mob of people arguing with each other. And isn't that the way life tends to be? And we have these great experiences, and the next moment we're like, oh, man, what happened to that? Raphael's masterpiece in the early 16th century gives us a picture of the contrast that we see in between the Mount of Transfiguration and coming back down to, to where the people are. And you can see in this, in this one image the, the great contrast between what's happening on the mountain and what's happening down below. And, and there are days where that we feel like that we're being pulled so much from the ecstasy of worship to the pain of human life. And some days the, the contrast is harsh because, because both the experiences of worship and the reality of human life seem so far apart. And it must have been difficult for them to transition back down to this mob of people arguing and fighting with one another. Jesus finally settles them down and begins to inquire about what exactly is going on here. And he finds out that it's all around, centered around a demon-possessed boy. The disciples try to heal him, but they're unable to do so. And that's when the argument ensues. And Jesus steps into this chaotic scene and asks, oh, unbelieving generation, 
How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Jesus, I think, is frustrated with all of them, but particularly with the disciples. I think he's saying to the disciples, I think to the disciples that they ought to know better by now. They've been with him long enough. They ought to do better. Someone points out that Jesus' question, how long shall I stay with you, is maybe less of a, a desire to rid himself of these inept disciples as it is a recognition that his days on earth are drawing to a close. The question carries a sense of urgency. Time is short. Are you guys going to get it? Of course, then that raises the question, what exactly do they need to get? What makes them an unbelieving generation? Jesus doesn't call them to be an unbelieving generation because they're unable to end this boy's suffering. He calls them an unbelieving generation. He is exasperated with his disciples because they don't feel helpless enough about this boy's problem. It seems to me that what Jesus is trying to communicate to them in his, in his exasperation and frustration is that they simply don't feel helpless enough about what this young boy is going through. And I'm convinced that this is our problem too. We are channels for God to work in this world because I'm not sure we are really helpless enough about the problems and the pain and about evil in this world. Jesus says in this encounter that there are two things that prevent this boy from being healed, a lack of faith and a lack of prayer. And both faith and prayer are centered in the spirit of helplessness about the problem that this boy is facing. I think we have a tendency to underestimate the power of Satan and evil in this world. And I think we have a tendency to underestimate the the pain and the hurts that people experience in this world. People live with deep pain. But because we don't really like to to feel that pain, we'd rather avoid that pain, we, we don't really pay that much attention to it sometimes. The power of Satan is greater than we realize, and the pain that people experience is greater than we realize. Mark's gospel is the shortest of all the gospels, and when you read it, you get a sense that Mark wants every word to count. There's no wasted space in his gospel. And yet it's fascinating to me that in this brief story, the detail that Mark gives us about this boy's condition. It says that he throws him to the ground and he's foaming at the mouth and gnashing his teeth and his body becomes rigid. He throws the boy into the fire or in water in order to kill him. He's lost his speech. It's been going on since he was a small child. And when Jesus rebukes this spirit and it comes out of him, it almost kills the boy. This is powerful stuff. And I think it's certainly more powerful than the disciples realize. And because the disciples don't realize the power of the enemy that they are facing, I think they are leaving God out of the solution. 
If it's not that serious, then, you know, we can handle it. And isn't that our problem at times? Well, this isn't that bad. I can handle it. But the Christian faith declares that we have a different perspective on evil and the world. We acknowledge that Satan is strong and active in this world and that even on our best days, in our own strength, we can't even begin to compete with him. And the Christian faith teaches that the pain in this world is real and deep and more destructive to human lives than we realize. And that on our best days, by ourselves, we can't do anything to make it better. In our affluent society, however, we have a tendency to think we have a relief for every pain and an answer for every question. And evil and and the needs that we see in people are just one more issue for us to solve. And with enough money and enough time and enough power and enough thought, we can eliminate it ourselves. And that arrogance is so bred into our Western mindset that even in the church, we have a tendency to believe that if we just educate people enough, and if we do enough rituals, if perform enough service, we can make people better. We can defeat the evil one. And sometimes for a while, things get better. But it's a placebo. But we keep trying because we believe we can solve it. When all the while, Jesus is calling us to admit that we can't. That in our own strength, we are helpless against the evil one and against the pain that he causes. We are helpless to really do significant things against it. Now, this is not a call to give up on the world or to cease our acts of service to needy people or to stop fighting against evil and injustice in the world. We should work and fight and serve to the best of our ability. We are being called, however, to work and fight and serve from a different perspective than what we typically have. We're called to work and fight and serve in the spirit and power of Christ. Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when the disciples are finally alone with Jesus, they ask him about what happened earlier. Why did we fail? Why couldn't we do it? Why were we unable to to defeat the evil one and help this boy? We did it before. Mark tells us chapter 3, chapter 6. But Jesus' answer is, is brief, to the point. He says this kind can only be healed through prayer. And what is prayer but acknowledging our helplessness and therefore our need for God? Prayer is an acknowledgement that we need God, that we are helpless against the problems and the pain of this world. Prayer is reliance upon God. We pray to God as an acknowledgement of our weakness and our inability to do what needs to be done. And of God's ability to do what needs to be done. However you define prayer, you see this idea going all the way through it. 
Listening to God is an acknowledgement that he has something to say that we need to hear and that if we don't hear it, our lives will be less than what they should be. Praising God is an acknowledgement that he is beyond us and that he works in ways that we cannot work. Praising God is acknowledging that he has done things that we could never do in our own strength and our own power. Confessing prayer acknowledges that we fall short of what we ought to be. Confession is an acknowledgement that we are not the answer to the questions of life. Now we might get one right every so often. But not most of the time. An intercessory prayer acknowledges that God alone can do something about the circumstance we are facing. That God alone is the answer to the pains with which people live, the hurts, the disappointments, the struggles of life. All of those can only be healed and changed by God. Prayer is helplessness is at the heart of our Christian faith. You see it in the Psalms. You see it with Israel. When do they get themselves in trouble? When they believe they can win battles in their own strength. You see it in the early church. There is a boldness that they have for Christ. But that boldness comes after Pentecost. It comes out of an acknowledgement that only in the power of Christ can they stand up to their enemies. Prayer, it's helplessness is at the heart of all that we mean when we talk about holiness and righteousness and sanctification. We tend to think of holiness as, how good am I? When what we really ought to be asking is holiness is how desperately I see I need Jesus. The most holy person is the person who is most fully aware of their helplessness and of their weakness and of their inability to be holy and realize that only as they open their life to Christ can they ever, can they ever be the holy person God intends them to be. It seems to me that the church in the West is particularly is so weak and ineffective Because we've convinced ourselves that if we work hard enough, if we just make quality plans, if we have enough funding, if we have enough people working, if we have enough support, we can change the world. And isn't it probable that the greatest problem that we have in the church is an overconfidence about who we are and about what we are able to do in this world? And so Jesus tells his disciples that these kinds of miracles take place only through prayer. But he isn't just talking about prayer in a moment, that you say a quick prayer before you go face the enemy. It's a spirit of closeness with God that can only come through prayer. You notice Jesus doesn't stop and pray before he casts out the demon. He is in such deep and close relationship with the Father that prayer is just a part of who he is. It's a kind of prayer life that, that is a complete and total reliance upon God. It's a spirit of living that realizes that we cannot exist without God. We've come to realize our helplessness to do any good without the power of God. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. 
And we can talk about a lot of reasons why we ignore prayer, but eventually it comes down to believing that we can do just fine without spending time with God in prayer. That we can heal the wounded in our own strength. We can change the world through our own educated minds or through the multiplicity of our gifts or through our wealth or through our expertise or our connections, our planning or our hard work. Now, all of those things are tools that God uses as he uses us to minister to this world. But those things are weak and ineffectual without the power of Christ in them. If you go into the world of hurt and pain, into this world of violence and turmoil, into this world of demonic influence and power, and you make in your own power an attempt to make a difference in the world, the world will overwhelm you at best. Probably destroy you at worst. Because none of us are strong enough to bring about real change in this world. None of us are good enough to bring about real change in this world. None of us are smart enough to bring about real change in this world. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. And Jesus is calling us to a spirit of helplessness about the world that turns us to him. But he is not calling us to a spirit of hopelessness about the world that causes us to give up. Because prayer as helplessness always leads us to a deeper understanding of faith in Christ and what he can do in this world. Faith is the other side of hopelessness that is inherent in prayer. We pray with different levels of faith, but in one degree or another, prayer implies our belief that God can do something about the evil and the pain that people face in this world. After watching the disciples' inability to help his son, and after seeing this demon again throw his boy to the ground, this, this father's faith is, is shot. I mean, and ours would be too. And all he can do is say to Jesus, if you could do something, maybe you could touch him. And Jesus says, if you can, do you believe or not? And he says, I believe, but it's, I don't have much. Help me believe. And that's all Jesus needs. The heart of this exorcism is the struggle for faith, not the struggle with a demon. Great evangelist Dwight Moody said that there are three kinds of faith. There's struggling faith, like a person in deep water desperately swimming. And there's clinging faith, like a like a person hanging on the side of a boat. And there's resting faith, like a person safely within the boat, reaching out to help others get in too. And we're all going to be up and down those different kinds of faith throughout our lives. There are going to be times where our faith is a resting faith and it's strong and we're helping others. And there'll be other times where all we can do, we feel like, is just to keep our head above the water. But in all of it, God is wooing us to trust him. And what will make the difference is our life of prayer. Because the more connected we are to God, the more we see the possibilities of God. And the more we trust.
We have a tendency to think of prayer as, I don't know, something arrogant. Something we muster up. Come on, believe. God, we demand you do this. And we're told that our faith is weak unless we make great declarations about God or we make bold assertions to God. And there is certainly a place for boldness. But faith, I think, often is more about an openness to receive from God than about demanding from God. And ultimately, faith is connected to prayer. Prayer gives life to faith. Prayer establishes faith and nurtures faith and grows faith. Because prayer is communion with God. And if we have little faith, maybe it's because we don't really give ourselves to time in the presence of God. And maybe we don't give ourselves to time with God because we believe we can handle life by ourselves. And so Jesus calls us back to that spirit of helplessness. A spirit of helplessness that leads us to rely on God and in that reliance to see the vast possibilities of what God can do and to build up our faith in Him. If you want to test your spirit of helplessness and reliance upon Christ, think about how you view and treat people who are in need. Do you look more like the disciples in this encounter, arguing with the the other people, or do you look more like Jesus? It seems to me that that one of the reasons Jesus gets upset as this thing begins is that he, he can see that the disciples and the religious leaders and the crowd have all begun this argument about what's going on and why this boy couldn't be healed. And, and they all have their theories and they all are expounding their theologies. And all the while, no one is noticing that this young boy is pushed off to the side, falling on the ground under the, under the work of the demon. They've gotten so wrapped up in in making sure that what they believe is is what other people hear, they've ignored this young boy in need. And, and we need to have right theology. We need good biblical orthodox theology. But if our theology leads us to coldness toward people in need, that's bad theology. John Fisher once said of Francis Schaeffer's work that it is ultimately not a call to arms, but a call to to care. And God's people care. God's people become channels for God's work in the world when we realize and acknowledge our helplessness and that the only thing that can happen is if God is at work in us and we need him. God uses our work, our efforts to fight against evil and pain in this world. And we need to keep working and planning and sacrificing and giving. But our most powerful tool, our most powerful weapon in the fight against the world's pain is a spirit of helplessness 
that causes us to turn to God in prayerful reliance. And in his presence, he gives us faith about the unlimited possibilities to a world in great need. In the next chapter, Jesus has an encounter that involves little children. The disciples rebuke the children, but Jesus calls the children to him and he gathers them around and he says to the disciples, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you can never enter it. And it seems to me that this is exactly what Jesus is asking of his disciples in this encounter with this demon-possessed boy. You've gotten to the place where you think you can do it on your own. You need to be like a little child who continually looks to their father and their mother and saying, I can't do it, but they can. I can't, I can't tie my shoe, but they can tie it. I can't climb over that wall, but they can lift me up. And time after time, you see children with that sense of helplessness and reliance on their parents. And God is saying to us, I want you to come to me with a spirit of helplessness. And in that helplessness, let's build relationship together that will allow me to do things through you in this world that you could have never dreamed. Are we willing to be helpless? Gracious Father, we need you. Forgive us when we believe that we can accomplish things on our own. Father, take the gifts you've given us. Take the work that we do and our lives. And create in us a new creature in Christ Jesus. Father, give us the ability to come to you in a spirit of helplessness. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.